Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status is the only K-12 data analytics platform designed to turn analysis into engagement. To learn more about how School Status can change your school district, head over to schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 73, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Mark Zuckerberg is trying to change education, but one community is pushing back. And MIT just announced its $1 billion plan to create a new college for artificial intelligence. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, what if you could create a class that revolves around Anthony Bourdain? Someone is doing just that, and he's our guest today. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Alyssa Pruitt. Alyssa, how are you doing? I'm great. Okay, listen to what happened at school. Okay, I think at, this is really your school. school. Yes, this okay. is at my school. There is this teacher. I'm going to give a shout out to Miss Sarah Stigles. She's like the best. She like always knows the latest and greatest. Does she listen to the show? She probably does. Really? But okay. I don't know. She's so busy. But she always has all these neat, cool things she's doing in her classroom, and she's always positive. Anyway. Somehow, she found out, I think her sister or whatever told her that there's this movement going on right now called hashtag, let's see, it's called hashtag 10 featured teachers. Have you heard of this? No. uh -uh. Me either. Um, I want to be one of them. But anyway, basically, I think like celebrities or even like, you know, maybe high profile CEOs or whatever, they are. Like Russ. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this needs yeah. to feature me. So they are featuring a teacher, like these 10, you know, these top 10 teachers that are being submitted, basically. People are like, this is a great teacher, this is a great teacher. Yeah. And basically they're giving them a shout out and the teacher is allowed to, you know, list things that they need and they're just like buying things off of their wish list. Is Kristen Bell involved in this somehow? Probably. I thought I saw something with like Kristen Bell doing something with teachers, but well, it may I be think, totally different. I think it... it Yes, I think um, she's maybe started it, and then different yeah. celebrities then have their own little. So, so let's go thing. back. Let's bring this full okay. circle. How does so this tie Sarah into your Sarah Steigles at my school was chosen by a celebrity named Constance Zimmer, and Why do I know she that named. Name? Well, she named all these shows that she was in, and I was like, okay, I actually know those things. Um, <laughs> like, she was on. Entourage, Boston Legal, House of Cards. Wow, quite um, your resume. And so she basically has bought things off of Sarah Steigel's wish list. So it was this adorable. So she got sponsored by Constance. Pretty much. And then I so, recognize her from House of Cards, I think. Okay. Yeah. And so she um, featured her and just was like, you know, hey, on, on Constance's Instagram page, she featured Sarah Steigles and was That's like, awesome. hey, this is a great teacher y'all should know about. And I want to say maybe Sarah's sister is the one that's put her up for it, kind of. Yeah. Um, but anyway, then people started purchasing things off of Sarah Steigel's wish list because Constance had thrown it out there and wow. said, we should, we should back this teacher down there. That's cool. In Mississippi. And so then all these packages start rolling in. 
So like the and real so deal. they yeah. brought them all in to the kids, and the kids got to open them all up, and they so were like, like so like, excited. They were like, "It's a dustbuster," <laughs> or you know, "It's ink cartridges," or the but the kids were fired up. That's really neat. I'm, we're gonna have to pay attention. to Really that cool. Yeah. So I didn't even know that that was a movement going on. Yeah, I didn't either. What is it again? One more time. Hashtag ten featured teachers. Ten featured teachers. Is Maybe it, is it ten like the number ten? It's the number ten. Like Hashtag one zero. One zero featured yeah. teachers. And maybe you should have somebody on the show coming up and ask them about this. Yeah, I, I would like to, to hear maybe Constance will come I on the show. I would have cause... never known about it if someone in my school had not been one of the featured teachers. But it was really exciting. It was exciting for the kids. And then now I know who Constance Zimmer is, and I think she's really cool. Well, and that is a, uh, it's got to be a Hollywood name because that name's way too cool to <laughs> be like, you know, we'll call her Constance. I don't know. I just feel like that's a cool name. Like it's, <laughs> it's the Screams Hollywood. No? Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> because she's famous, she was able to have people focus on Sarah Steigles, yeah, who's a famous teacher in my school. <laughs> Constance Zimmer's real name oh my is... Holy cow, I think it's Constance Zimmer. She's probably going to be like, I'll never go on the show and yeah. talk to you, Nick, because you made fun if, of my name. If but Constance it, Zimmer listens to this show enough to know that I made fun of her name, it wasn't even making fun of it. I was saying how well, awesome it was. let's try to get Kristen Bell on the show yes. because she is part of this movement. So I would like yes. for you to get Kristen Bell so that she can talk about it. Isn't and, she Anna? Yeah. She, right. Yeah. That's just one small thing that she's I know. Said. She's a bunch yes, of stuff. But you have a three-year-old daughter, so of course you yeah. know that. Yeah. Right, right, right. I love her. Um, all righty. Well, let's uh, go ahead and jump into the teacher's lounge. What else do you know, Lissa? Well, I know that Mark Zuckerberg's not having a great week in education. <laughs> um, he There's this grant that was bestowed upon many school districts um, thanks to his education foundation. And basically there's this school that has pulled out and said, no, thanks. Thanks, but no, thanks. Is this, I heard about this. I think it's up in new England or something. Cheshire or am I saying, no, it's not Cheshire. Yeah. Cheshire as in the cat. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, in Connecticut. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but basically they were all given Chromebooks. Yay. And then they, Mm -hmm. you know, go through, um, basically a personalized learning plan, which we've talked about a lot on the show, but this was new for that school. And so they kind of phased it in and said, we're going to have an hour a day where you're doing individualized learning and you're going to be on your laptop and do these modules. Mm -hmm. And I believe it, you know, it was a software that was created by his people, we'll just say his people, but I know something that he's tied to, whether it's Facebook. And I want to say that some of the, creators of Facebook or some of the behind the scenes people of Facebook helped develop this. Anyway. Um, Do we know what the software is called? Summit. Summit. I think, I think you're right. Um, yes. Yeah. It's called um, the website. It's a website summit. Um, but basically the children log in, they call, there's this little blue line at the top of the screen that tracks their progress on a certain module. Okay, so in education, there's lots of things like this where you tell your children to get on IXL or Khan Academy and they go through a module and it tracks their progress or whatever. Mm -hmm. But basically, from the student's point of view, they were like, okay, after a while, they started thinking, well, I really miss my teacher showing me this. Like, now I do everything by myself and we don't even have, you know, this lesson with the teacher everything everybody's on their own track and it 
it wasn't as well received as everyone thought. But right. what is weird, what this weird plot twist is, things started happening on these children's screens, like weird pictures and advertisements, inappropriate advertisements, like for lubricant. Um, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Yes. Really? Yes. All right, so so I'm understanding this right. They're on the Summit Software website. That's right. Doing their le- learning. On their Chromebook that was on also issued to them. And then some suggestive or whatever you want to call them ads start popping up on the site. Now, I will tell you a quick story, a quick aside. <laughs> when I um, worked at the TV station, we had our website um, for our TV station and you know, was, you went there for local news. Well, there were little blocks for advertisements, of course, that you could sell to local clients. But then, you know, corporate comes along and then they start controlling some of the blocks. And then they were selling the blocks to another third party that then sold it to somebody else. Long story short, as things got further away from the local source, those ads were less controlled. And we had the same issue of like, you would go to our website and it was like, it's like a guy's like plumber's crack. And I forgot what they were advertising, but it was awful. It was like, no one wants to see that. And that became an issue. And I kind of wonder if that's not what happened here. And maybe, maybe so. I mean, they definitely put a statement out saying, hey, you know, clearly we were working out kinks and things like that, and mm-hmm. this is an isolated situation. And um, But the overall feel from the parents and students was we don't like it. You know, we're right. taking, we feel like we ta- we're taking our children out of a classroom and everyone's individualized now and their, their homework is not matching up with what they're doing on this software because some of them are moving quicker than others. And so it was just kind of a disjointed, which I understand sometimes in education, if you're going to do something, you got to go all in right. or not, you know? Well, so whose fault is this in your opinion? Uh, well, I mean, ever anyone that is going, nothing is for free. So if you're going to give a whole lot of money in the form of Chromebooks and software and whatever to change the face. Yeah, Yeah, there's going to be parameters that the school has to adhere to. And so they probably were trying to wade in a little bit by saying just starting out an hour a day. But but that did give a disjointed effect when you have some kids that move faster on that program than others and then their homework isn't matching up. I'm guessing this is like a really parentally engaged district as well. Yes. And so so basically, I mean, they ended up with a bunch of school board meetings and it it got bad to where the superintendent said, let's get out. We're we're out. So they're like, thanks, but no thanks. Mr. Zuckerberg, you can have your money back. One of the other things I should mention is I think they were concerned that their data um, on the students had been compromised. Mm. And so they feel like... Allegedly. Right. Okay. Yes. Allegedly. So they feel like... Maybe that is um, a problem, and that's what maybe they felt like the software and stuff was getting in re- getting in return for all this yeah. free stuff given. They were getting this in I mean, return. We, we've talked about this. It it is in software's company's interest to be in schools, not just because they're trying to improve schools, but you know, you and I grew up with Microsoft Word, right, and the Microsoft yes. suite, of PowerPoint, and so forth, but. Our kids are growing up mainly with Google Docs and and Google products. And so as they go into the workforce, that's what they're going to be more comfortable with. So there is even a reward there for these companies to invest in schools. I kind of put some of the blame, though, on the board that accepted without kind of, you know, testing the waters enough, running it by parents. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, they're saying, yes, we want your help. And then, you know, 
they're, they're setting the guidelines and, and agreeing to do with what comes with the money. Yeah. So, I mean, it is growing. And I think that, I mean, this is, this is, I should say, one school's perspective. Right. And of course, it's the school that pulled out. So, but there are still, I think, like 19 other districts that are involved with it. Um, and I do think he was trying to change. Yeah, all intentions way, are certainly good. Right. And he yeah. was trying to change the way education is done. Um, but I think what some of the parents were saying is, you didn't really change it. You know, if you didn't like the way there was a teacher in front of the class mm-hmm. pouring out knowledge to the students, all you basically did was have the computer screen pouring out the knowledge to yeah, the students they, individually. We're so, in an interesting time, too, I think, where all of us are our radars up when it comes to our privacy and technology and large companies' motives. And we're just at that point where, you know, Facebook for a while was – it was the place. It was the place to go. And now they've become such a conglomerate. And the funny thing is, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm done with Facebook. I'm going to Instagram. And of course, as we all know, Facebook owns Instagram right. as well. But, yeah. you know, it's just kind of, it's just weird. It's like you kind of get these like tones and, and feelings about companies, um, which maybe are right sometimes and, and maybe aren't. Well, I think it's also interesting to note that a lot of this negative talk about the summit software and mm-hmm. the website and all of the grant took place on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> it is ironic. That is ironic. And that's a good, good point to shift to a new topic. Now, um, this one, I wish we had Russ on the show cause he probably has better perspective than I do on this one. Um, but MIT just announced that it is going to spend $1 billion, $1 billion to create a new college for artificial intelligence, which is like, I can't can't really like wrap my brain around, but yeah, but we you know, know that one MIT is the best in the world when it comes to robotics and science and math and presumably artificial intelligence. And two, they're dropping a billion dollars in this program, um, and so I think it's worth at least talking about. And I don't know how far we are from when this will become a K through 12 thing or a high school thing, I should say, where you start talking about artificial intelligence, like we maybe talk about robotics in some high schools. I don't know. Do you, are you Freaks following? Me are, out. Are, no, is it, I'm half following anyway, because yeah. you knew that this was going to drag me it freaks behind me out too, the boat. <laughs> it freaks me out too. When you hear people like Elon Musk, who um, you know is smart enough to create Tesla and SpaceX, say that like artificial intelligence is something we all need to worry about. And, you know, I want to applaud MIT for getting there, and you want to applaud the U.S. government for researching AI, but at the same time, it's scary. It is. You know, but what, I mean, I don't mean to get geopolitical about it, but I'd rather the U.S. know about artificial intelligence better than China or Russia knows about it, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't want to do be killed think, by... Oh, do you think we know about it more than they know about it? I don't it? know. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want a bunch <laughs> of, like, Russian robots coming here and killing me in 10 years. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But uh, I think we're, we're at an interesting time. A noteworthy function of the new college will be encouraging students and researchers to think about the potential impact of computing and AI. So they're actually like trying to train them about the ethical concerns that are involved around AI. I think that goes without being said. Most of the money is coming from a guy by the name of Steven Schwartzman. Um, he is donating $350 million of the dollars to, um, and he's actually the CEO and co-founder of Blackstone. It's a private equity firm. Um, and they are going to be creating 50 new faculty positions 
as well as numerous fellowships and graduate students. And the school should be open next September. One would assume that MIT is going to be the leader in the country in terms of artificial intelligence. Well, it definitely sounds like they definitely put the flag down in the ground as, look, here we are. And can you imagine how many people that are entering college, you know, in the next couple of years are like so excited and saying, that's where I want to be. I want to be at the beginning of it. Right. I and mean, that's exciting. Yeah. Scary. And, and so like, I don't want to go down the, the scary road of like military <laughs> use of AI, but mm-hmm. then there's also the whole scary road of these robotics or an artificial intelligence through computers probably will replace a lot of us. Like that's kind of like, I think I've brought this up on the show or I've talked to people about this in interviews. What scares me the most is like helping guiding your your child to the right career that isn't going to be replaced by AI. What can you do that a computer can't? And so, it's, it's a tough So tell me one that would be, so you're talking about like maybe a stockbroker would be replaced by AI, right? right because right. that's a very... I, I mean, mean, anything manufacturing. Right. Um, or you even look at, like, what Amazon's doing, you know, in their, their facilities. Right now, they have robots that basically bring the shelves to the person, and then they take the items off the shelves and then put them in the boxes and I ship them off to I think I would have nightmares if I lived. I mean, look. If I worked there, I think I would have nightmares robotics, about those. Robotics are changing jobs in the grocery store. Like, right now, we go to Walmart, and they have half as many checkout aisles as they used to, because you can check out yourself. And there's one person watching 20 aisles now. Mm-hmm. And it used to be, you know, three, and now it's 20. Um, but it does seem like they're hiring more people to do their, uh, what do you call it, their little, like, online shopping thing. So you yeah, have people like they pulling. bring it to your But it's car. just a matter of time before Dang. a robot's going to do that as well. So it's like, any time you're thinking about getting into a career, you have to ask, like, can a computer do this? The answer is probably yes in many cases. And how, how long will it be before it can do this? Like, so you take a police officer, right? Mm-hmm. Police officer, it's going to be a little while before you have RoboCop. But, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I but, forgot about RoboCop. Right, right? What a good movie. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, are we like 10 years out, 20 years? I'm good for 20 years, I think, right? Before RoboCop comes along. And You're not a cop. You're not good. I know, I know. No. <laughs> but if you have a child that wants to be a cop, yes. you know, or that's, I don't know, just, yes. just, just things to think about. Um, all right. Are you ready for our bright idea? Yes. Okay. This one I'm pretty excited about because uh, I'm a fan of Anthony Bourdain. Oh. You know who I'm talking yeah. about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a professor at Nichols over in Louisiana, and he just got approved for the first Anthony Bourdain course at his university. He's going to teach a whole course about Anthony Bourdain and like how he does it from a film side, but I think also a cultural side. And a writing side, I mean, he's a strong writer as well. Right. Um, so uh, I started reading about this. It was a story in CNN with this professor that we've got an interview with and started thinking like, I mean, this couldn't just be done in college level. Like, you could do this in high school. I mean, he can be a little coarse at times, but it was on CNN. There, there are lessons to be learned across the board. So I wanted to kind of pick this professor's brain and figure out like, what's he going to do? What's his curriculum going to be like? So we have him on the show. That's really cool. Our guest in today's Bright Ideas segment was recently featured on CNN, USA Today, Mental Floss, and the Associated Press. Dr. Todd Kennedy is a professor at Nichols State University in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and he was just given the go-ahead to teach a three-credit course titled Anthony Bourdain and His Influencers. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, I think that you have a brilliant idea here. When as soon as I read about this, I was like, I've got to talk to him about this. Like, how did he come up with this idea? But before we kind of do our deep dive into how you pulled this off and how you thought of it, give me a short description of the class. Like, if I was on an elevator with you and I was and you were telling me about the class, what would you say? Yeah. So I'm basically what we're looking at is um, what influenced Anthony Bourdain and how he managed to. Um, concentrate so many different ways of looking at culture into a single hour because his shows are incredibly filmic but they're also drawing from literary influences obviously food obviously travel their bio historical political so basically for the class we're going to spend about half a week looking at something that i think influenced a specific episode a film a, a novel um other types of criticism and then the second half of the week looking at the episode um both to look at the episode itself but to look at how he views the world around him through the lens of everything that influences him now, now you have a, a phd i guess in uh looks like 20th century american literature and film is this a film course or an english course or, or both I honestly think it leans a little bit film, but it's both. We would be cross-listing it if we were able to do that at our university. Instead, we're listing it as a literature class, and we're going to give credit to any film majors or minors for a correlating class in film. But it basically, it's somewhere between a themes in literature class and a themes in film class. All right, so how and when did you come up with this idea? It, we're, this, so we spend a lot of our time in the summers in the Basque Country in Spain because my wife does research there. And we were there, and I got the news um, Anthony Bourdain had just uh, died on our way. We were ironically on our way to have one of his favorite meals that he listed as one of his favorite dishes in the world. We were walking en route there when he died, and it just kind of really shook us. And I'd always enjoyed his show. I'd considered myself a bit of a fan, but I'm not by any means a super fan. Um, and it shocked me how much it kind of moved me, because I'm not normally moved by celebrity deaths, even literary figures. I did my master's thesis on Bob Dylan, and I very much care about Bob Dylan's work, but I, I, I don't think I would have nearly the reaction to a, a real-life issue with, with Bob Dylan that I did with Anthony Bourdain. But it really shook me, and it shook me for days. I mean, really almost as if I'd lost somebody I knew. And it surprised me because I had never really considered myself a super fan. And so I started just thinking, why why was this having such a big effect on me? Because it, it, it really surprised me. And so as I was thinking about that, I started really thinking about how he does all of the different th types of things we do in cultural studies and literary studies and film studies. And we talk about being interdisciplinary and we talk about connecting between different ways of approaching culture. But usually we do it with one or two and we say, well, today's the day that we're comparing art to literature or we're comparing film to literature. We rarely really just take the whole enchilada and approach it in one go. And that's what Anthony Bourdain did every single week. And he did it quite brilliantly, the more I realized. And so I just started looking at episodes. The idea kind of came and it seemed kind of harebrained and I wasn't taking it that seriously. And I just kept thinking about it more and mulling it over. And the more I thought what the class would look like, the more complicated and complex it became. And eventually I kind of felt like it's one of the more complex classes I've ever taught in my life. It's one thing to have an idea... It's another thing to, to execute an idea. How did the pitch process go with your superiors? Yeah, so I, I basically was in the process of putting together an email um, that was going to just kind of pitch the idea, give basic ideas and comparisons, basically argue that it, was, it could be a rigorous course. And as I was putting that email together, I got an email from my department chair telling me what I was going to teach in the spring, um, which did not include Anthony Bourdain. Right. Um, so I, I hurried up and did a much more rushed version of my email, and I sent it to her. I'm kind of explaining the reasons. 
And she wrote back, she was a little concerned about um, coverage because she kind of counted on me to teach the other classes, but she was, she liked the idea and she, she trusts me because I've had some unusual ideas in the past, nothing nearly as, as off the wall as this, but I taught a class on body and the body and film, which mixed art and film and how we see the body in space. And so kind of some original ideas at least. And so she trusted me and she said I could do it and um, she approved it and put it in. And we thought it would really kind of stay there or die there if students didn't take it. And I just tweeted about it to advertise it, and next day it was on CNN, and now we've added extra sections. We might be adding extra sections in future semesters. It's kind of just grown in a, in a hurry. Before you sent that email to, to your boss pitching this class, did you have any doubt? I mean, like you said, it, it's a little off the wall. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I say this to someone I'm kind of maybe a little more, this is surprising maybe for somebody who now is suddenly has a, you know, a name as a Tony Bourdain person, but I'm kind of a little more of a traditionalist in what I teach. I'm a little more old school um, in approach. Um, I teach popular culture classes sometimes, but usually um, from a very traditional literary studies perspective, or I teach if I'm teaching film from a more traditional film studies perspective. So, you know, it's I, I had concerns about how it would appear maybe more than it was because I kind of knew what I wanted to do. And I knew that in some ways I, it's actually I think the approach I'm taking to the class is more complex than the average class I teach. And the workload is, I think, potentially more rigorous than the average class I teach. But I know that it doesn't it wouldn't sound that way. And I know how I, I've thought when I've heard other classes offered by other people. So I was maybe more concerned with how it was going to sound than how it was going to actually be. You tweeted shortly after I think you got approval. So it's happening for real. And I doubt they ever let me do this again. Do you, do you still feel that? Well, why did you you tweet that? And do you still feel like I doubt they'll ever let me do this again? Or have you been kind of overwhelmed oh, I, with the I, response? I, I think it's kind of become the exact opposite. You know, I, did, I said that originally a little tongue in cheek. And, you know, if we're going to think about this in terms of teaching, in terms of imagining your audience, my audience in my mind when I tweeted that was basically some former students that had either recently graduated or they're going to be seniors, hoping that they would laugh at that, want to hurry up and take the class, maybe retweet it to some of their friends, that it might grow some 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 enrollment. I thought we'd have enough for the class to make, but I was you know it was borderline, and I thought it'd be borderline enough as a 400 level class in a relatively small school that I wasn't really sure. But my audience ended up being very different, obviously, and you know I probably wouldn't tweet that if I were tweeting if I had it to do over again, even knowing what I knew now but especially now we've we've already added a second online section we're thinking of offering another online section either this spring or the summer we might do another in-person class in the fall there's been massive interest on campus i think from students just from seeing it in the news they want to be part of something that's that's gotten attention nationally but we've also had an overwhelming amount of interest from people nationwide and around the world interested in taking the course and so that's why we're trying to offer more online sections to make that possible we actually have one student who's temporarily relocating from england to take the class wow um so which is you know kind of above and beyond um and you know no pressure on me or anything but <laughs> yeah you know at the, at the time i mean i wasn't like literally drawing line in the sand they'll never let me offer it again but it's very timely it seemed off the wall enough that it didn't seem like a recurring course the irony being now it's going to be recurring probably a decent amount for the short term and maybe for the long term if the interest continues what do you hope uh, a student takes away from with this course I, you know, I hope that they, they walk away with an ability to both understand and make complex arguments about the world around them, drawing from multiple fields of study. Um, I, I, I hope they have an interest in travel or food or Anthony Bourdain, but they really could have none of those. And I think there's still something that would be interesting out of that, because I think that what he gives us is a way of synthesizing so many different ways of looking at the world into a unified argument about a location or place or idea. How important is 
you know, Anthony Bourdain's show, for those that are super fans and have watched him kind of from the beginning, from I guess it was with the Travel Network um, mm-hmm. and then switched over to CNN, it started really with food. And mm-hmm. I think he kind of wanted to get away from the food as the show went along. But then he, I think he kind of went back and started to accept it a little bit and say, you know what? Every culture eats food and people bond over food. How important is the cultural and the food aspect to you and your teaching? I think I'm somebody that's very interested in food ways because I think food, and I have been in my research to some degree and in my reading a large degree, because I think that food ways lead us to politics, leads us to cultural history. I, I think my relation to it is similar to his. I think he wanted to reject it for a while because he was thought of as a travel show or as a food show, and he didn't want to just be a food show because of the way that we look down on culinary arts as a society too often and definitely within academia. But, but I think he came back to it because he realized it synthesized everything else he wanted to argue about. I mean, there's a way – I'm a follower of the Southern Foodwise Alliance, both on Twitter and other things. And, and, and the work they do is so amazing specifically because what I think they do in terms of understanding Southern American culture or American culture of the American South is realizing that it, it's one of the few – forms of expression that there's no mode of entry. I mean, I'm a film professor. Like if you want to actually have an independent voice in film, you basically need to get somebody to give you millions and millions of dollars. If you want to write a novel, you need to get that novel published. There is no barrier to entry for food. There never has been. It's really is the form of expression for centuries for cultures, for poor people, for for minorities, for the undervoiced to have an expression. And, and I think that positions of power in academia look down on that because it's not what we're used to. But it, it's as mu- it's as much a text that can be read as any other form of expression. Bourdain um, talked a lot about literature um, on his mm-hmm. show and like authors that influenced him. Some of them, if if I remember correctly, and I'm kind of speaking without having researched this, but I want to say some of them are kind of on the darker side. He talked about like Jack Kerouac and just kind of you know these going into these dark areas. Do you know anything about that? Do you see that connection? I do. I mean, I think it's tough, and I, I, you know. Because of the suicide, I think people also want to look. He's always had a dark edge, and I think that certainly leads to probably mental health issues that set up his, his eventual demise. But I, but I also think, and this is maybe the academic answer, but if you look at some of the things he says about travel, says about world and understanding view, it almost pairs perfectly in line with modernist philosophy as someone who is a modernist scholar which is something that often embraces the, the darker, the negative, and looks for the beauty in it. It basically thinks perpetual change is what leads to something new. Um, and so I think that his interest in darker things wasn't always this kind of dark bent that it may seem now in terms of suicide, but also this idea that a lot of times the what's new, what's innovative, what's beautiful comes out of a dark place. He said this specifically about food, that he always thought that you know, anybody could be a great chef with a uh, filet mignon or a great piece of cut, cut of steak that really great cooking came out of people that had to take the piece of the meat that nobody wanted to eat and the type of vegetable that nobody wanted to eat and find a way to make it taste good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for literature to agree with him. I, I'm not a huge fan of Kerouac. My dissertation kind of was kind of was attacking Kerouac to some degree. But I think that 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 what Kerouac does try to draw on that I think really speaks to a lot of the literature that Anthony Bourdain was influenced by was this optimism and possibility represented by space, by movement across space, by the American dream, but that's rooted in the realities of the difficulty to actually achieve that, the the romanticism that's in that in that belief that may or may not actually be true, and the ways in which to actually get anywhere, um, one has to actually look at the darker side as well. 
Well, well, for the record, I don't feel like that's an academic answer. I think that's a pretty phenomenal answer. Um, How common is this to build a class around a person? Do you see that a lot in higher education? No, and I think you particularly don't see it looking, you know, and I was being a little glib calling it influencers, though I think it works in a social media age and the way we talk kind of glibly about influencers. But, 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 you know, I think it works. I like that. I've come to like it a lot. Um, My wife came up with it. I mean, I kind of made fun of it. And I actually, and I went with it because I thought it it sounded nice, but I've actually come to really like it because it stretches what I think is unique. Yeah. And especially in literary studies, you see a lot of classes like on Hemingway um, or you see in film studies less often though. I do it a lot at my school class on a director or or group of directors. I teach a Sofia Coppola and Quentin Tarantino class where I compare their two works, Mm -hmm. but you normally either study, the artists themselves, or occasionally you study the artist and their influence on who they have after them. Um, I, one of the best classes I ever took in graduate school was called uh, Faulkner and His Successors by a professor named Keen Butterworth. And it was a month on Faulkner, but then it was basically American literature since Faulkner through the eyes of Faulkner. But I think it's really unusual, even for me, to look backwards the opposite way. Um, this isn't really a class about Anthony Bourdain. I, I really respect his shows. I hope that my students really come out of this with an understanding of how he makes really, to quote Anthony Bourdain, an attempt at a miniature independent film every week. But we're not starting with that. We're starting with what influenced him. And it's, it's kind of looking backwards. And so it's grouping it around one person, but it's looking at all these disparate forms of literature and film that influence one person. So it really is, it's very freeing that the class can go so many different directions, but then it all comes back in to synthesize around one person. You mentioned that you guys are going to try to offer this in an online uh, course. Like if somebody is listening and they're like, I-, I want to enroll, like what do they need to do? Do they need to enroll in the school or is this, can this be anybody? No, it can be anybody. Um, you they need to contact Nichols online education, which is its own um, program within our university. We offer online classes that are regular classes, but we also offer courses that are titled Nichols online. So they, they would find that on the website and they could contact them. Um, it, you do not have to be enrolled in the university to enroll in that class. Transfer credits would depend on your university. It probably would transfer as a 400-level literature course because that's what it's actually the number is. I would be happy to write a letter arguing how it could also count as English 440, which for us is themes and film. But that would, again, depend on your university. The most direct correlation would be themes and literature. Um, and do you think that this content, somebody could maybe take the course or somebody can do their own research and could it be taught at a high school level and should it be taught at a high school level? I think, yeah, I, I think it certainly, sh- I think everything should be taught at a high school level. I think one of the things that we, we've done and we did it, I think with high school, we're starting it sometimes to do with higher education is that we're trying to worry what can they handle to such a degree that we don't actually teach them to handle things. And I, th- I think that it can be. Obviously, you teach based on the audience. You teach based on the level of the audience. Just the difference between the in-person class and the online class is something I'm struggling with. Can I do an entire 15-week course in eight weeks? How do I do that? How do I teach film and literature online? Which I have done in the past. But it's still, it's, it's, it's a constant struggle to think how to do it. And so I think for a high school teacher, certainly you would have to be done differently, but I don't see why it couldn't be done. I think that it actually would be might be a way to get students to be more interested in Jim Harrison or Graham Greene or uh, Joseph Conrad or Lydia Lunch or some of the people we're reading, not just through, through reading the text, but seeing how it influences something else that goes out into the big blue world and kind of interprets it. And give me kind of an idea of what like the first assignment's going to be for you. Do, you. do you know that yet? Is the curriculum? Like the first writing assignment or the first uh, what we're going to be discussing in class? Yeah, let's start with, with what you're discussing in class. 
Yeah, so we're going to open by reading Kitchen Confidential, which is the book that kind of put Anthony Bourdain on the map. And that's really the only biohistorical moment we're really going to get or the only real writing by Anthony Bourdain in terms of his fiction or his nonfiction. Um, but we're doing that just to kind of open that. But then I'm going to – we're going to read A.J. Liebling's um, Between Meals, which is kind of a canonical book for food writing that really influenced Anthony Bourdain. And we're going to watch his No Reservations Paris, where he opens the episode in black and white, borrowing from French New Wave and French quality of cinema – film techniques and basically literally says in the episode in the first five minutes this is the episode i'd like to make make but you know we all know this is tv and then as he says this is tv it switches to color and it switches to a much more normal travel show uh food aesthetic so we're going to talk that week um in that episode's about paris that ties in very nicely with the liebling book because it's about paris but that's what that's setting up forward is really talking about the way in which the show he's saying he can't make on tv is the show that he ends up making on TV for almost a decade after that episode. He eventually is able to break down a lot of those barriers on the Travel Channel, eventually moves to CNN where he gets even more freedom. And by parts unknown, he's making the exact kind of television that he said he couldn't make. And so each week we're going to open by watching a major film or reading a major novel and then working towards an episode that we think is in conversation or that I think is in conversation with with that original text. Uh, while Anthony Bourdain's unfortunately no longer with us, he still did have a huge team of very smart photographers, camera people, mm -hmm. producers. Have you heard from any of them or have you considered reaching out to maybe one of his stronger producers and saying, hey, I'd love for you to have some input in this? I have heard from one of his producers. I don't want to mention the name because I don't want to out him without permission, but I have heard from one producer. I'm trying to work on setting up a Skype situation with this in-person in class next semester. I've thought about reaching out to others. Um, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to, to reach out to people. I don't want this to seem like that I'm trying to make this class, you know, a, a celebrity thing in and of itself. I think that if they, if, if they were interested and wanted to reach out to me, it's something I would be interested in to a degree. It's not a production class. I don't want to spend the whole semester doing that, but I certainly think that some input or some awareness from how it's put together would only be of interest to the students and definitely worthwhile. Uh, Todd, it sounds so fascinating. I'm excited to uh, to follow you. Hopefully you're going to be either putting this on a blog or uh, doing some tweets, just kind of updating us with the progress of this. I'm definitely going to be tweeting a lot, and I'm actually working on some different potential ideas for how to get other types of writing about this, these ideas in, in, into print. Potentially either some academic articles or maybe even a book aimed at a more popular audience. Uh, do you mind sharing your Twitter handle? Um, yeah, it's at NSU Film Studies. So, so NSU for Nickel State University and then Film Studies. All right, Todd, best of luck with the course. Are you ready for Thank our pop so quiz? Oh, I'm ready. All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? That's a tough one. And I, sh I should have been prepped more on these. Wow. Um, Why it's a pop quiz. Yeah, I know. I'm going to say, I'm going to say art. And I, and I can say as someone who took very little art, but I think art inculcates so many different ways of looking at the world. If, if taught properly, it basically leads to um, an ability to understand argument, to understand culture, to understand everything around us. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Critical thinking, which we are teaching, but I think that it needs to be more and more a focus. I think that we're, we're too worried about teaching for skills. We're too worried about giving rote knowledge when the ability to understand the world around us and to make an argument about it is something you can apply across disciplines and across jobs. What does every child deserve? Space for creativity, a space for curiosity. I, I think a space to not be told how things are, to figure out for themselves how they want them to be. And I think there's something actually very Anthony Bourdain in that. And I wouldn't have thought of that, so I just thought of that now. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? 
I think the market demands on universities and education in general, the idea of the student as uh, as client or student as customer, which just leads to so many destructive ways of looking at education. What's the best gift to give an educator? Trust. I think the trust that they'll do something interesting from an administrative point and trust that they're going to take you somewhere interesting as a student. Which teacher changed your life? There's been a lot in a lot of different ways, and in some in more academic ways and some in less, but I'm going to say John Leland at Virginia Military Institute. I, For, for reasons that, I'll, that I don't even know, I went to military college, and I got a lot of good things out of it, and I, I don't have bad memories of that, but I'm not sure if I'd feel the same way if I didn't have somebody who really was a guide for different options in my life besides the military, which I realized very quickly I didn't want to do. Um, and I ended up in grad school out of it, and I ended up becoming a film person out of it and that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for a 17th century poet scholar and last question pen or pencil pen have have guts all right dr todd kennedy we appreciate your time and i'm extremely excited about your class i'm definitely going to be following you on twitter and just uh i'm I'm almost tempted to enroll in the course like i'm I'm that fascinated by what you're doing so i would love to have you and i'm happy to give you as much information as you want if you don't enroll (laughs) thank Thank you you so much much for your interest That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter. Just search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ward. To go, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.